Let's see, how's that? Oh, good. <clears throat> well, assalamu alaikum. Shalom. Good morning. Oh, that's the one. Okay. It's good to be here this morning with you. Um, I thought I would give you a little background about the ministry that God has called my wife, Jody, who's down here in the front, and I, too, in Indonesia, um, before we dive into God's Word. Uh, let's see, am I, am I doing the advancing? Okay, well, this ought to be good if I can multitask. <laughs> um, well, it just kind of buzzed at me. Did I hit the wrong one? Anyway, while they're working on that, um, we were appointed with World Venture uh, in 2007, and we uh, traded in our family minivan in Spokane for a family motorbike, which you'll see a picture there if we can get that up. Um, when we moved to Indonesia, to the island, the most densely populated island in the world, Java, in the, most, in the largest Muslim nation in the world, Indonesia, in 2009. Oh, okay. Could you go back one? There it is. There's the family mini bike, family motorbike that we all tried to fit on, including the little dachshund. Um, yeah, so that was on the island of Java where we started, and we helped to facilitate a, the beginnings of a movement of disciples making disciples and churches planting churches there. Uh, we were privileged to be able to be a part of that among the Javanese people, and then we also saw it spread to two other unreached people groups, and there were 40 discovery groups meeting and some house churches that got to the level of we had appointed elders, and so uh, we were really excited about that. And then in 2014, we decided to move to, um, we had been surveying and praying about moving to the island of Southeast Sulawesi, one of the most unengaged unreached areas of all Indonesia. So in 2014, we moved uh, there to begin the same type of ministry, uh, seeking to make disciples who make disciples, churches that plant churches and leaders that reproduce leaders. Um, since we have been in Sulawesi, we have started two business accesses, two business platforms. We have an English language center, and then we also have a cafe, uh, coffee shop that we use to build relationships. It gives us an access as foreigners to get our visas, but it also gives access to our 14-person uh, Indonesian team that, so they have a job that they can do. Uh, they've come from other parts of Indonesia, and so they, they have a reason to be there and to serve among these frontier people groups in Southeast Sulawesi. Um, we use biblical principles of disciple-making and church planting to start discovery Bible studies uh, with people, to disciple people to faith in Jesus, um, and then disciple them to become obedient followers of Jesus uh, as they have given their lives to him. Currently, we're temporarily basing in Spokane, Washington in the U.S. Uh, in order to take care of my dad, we live with him and we're his full-time caregivers but we are also leading our team remotely in Indonesia through video calls and through texting. Uh, every evening, we're on video calls with our team, uh, doing mentoring, doing uh, counseling, uh, planning, evaluating, all kinds of things that we do uh, when we're there. And so we've continued in that ministry as an off-site catalyst status. 
So we've been blessed to um, build and work and live in missional community with a team of Indonesian missionaries from all over Indonesia. Uh, they have very different backgrounds. Some we've mobilized through the seminary system there in Indonesia. Uh, some have come from secular campuses. Some we've intentionally or unintentionally mobilized uh, through the uh, churches that we've served with over the 13 years that we've been in Indonesia. And so uh, they have all kinds of different backgrounds. They're ordinary people. We have English teachers, uh, obviously, to work at the English Language Center. We have baristas and cooks. We have a woodworker, carpenter, uh, a farmer. We have a community health uh, administrator. So people have come from all kinds of walks of life uh, to come and to serve. And they all have one thing, one thing in common. They're all passionate and dedicated and committed to reach the unreached people groups there in Southeast Sulawesi. They live their faith out loud through their words and actions on a daily basis, and they're open to share about that faith and about Jesus anytime, anywhere with anyone in hopes of reaching those frontier people groups. Uh, it's a privilege to serve with them, to live in a missional community with them, to be encouraging each other to be out among the lost. Uh, we've, been, we've been really blessed to partner with some individuals and churches here in the States that have that same ethos, that same missional community kind of uh, atmosphere, and that same dedication and focus and passion to daily and intentionally live out their faith and share with people who have not yet heard that Christ died for their sins. So um, these missional communities that, I, that I'm talking about are really just groups of people that have recognized what their identity is in Christ, and it has changed their daily activity. It's changed the things that they do day to day. And that's where I want to start. Our identity as Christ followers really should change our day-to-day -day activity, shouldn't it? God says, be holy for I am holy in Leviticus 11.44. That means we're to be set apart, not to blend in. We don't live for... Uh, status or for job or for money or for things that only benefit ourselves anymore, do we? Our lives should look different than the unbelieving world around us. That's what God means for us to be set apart, to be in the world but not of the world, to lose our life that we might gain it, right? In 2 Corinthians 5.17, we learn that we are to be new creations in Christ, in Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3, Paul talks about putting on the new self. As followers of Christ, we have a new identity. So I'd like to take a few minutes this morning just to kind of look at that new identity uh, and then focus a little more time on how that should affect our activity, our day-to-day -day activity. So I'll mention three areas of our new identity in Christ. And I think you have uh, notes if you want to follow along in your bulletin or your program. Um, so first, we're God's child. You see this triangle? Hopefully you can read that. God's child. We are a member of church, uh, the church family, and we are God's ambassador. So I'd like to look at each of these just briefly and what they entail, and then we'll turn our attention to the activity that this new identity produces. So first, as God's child... We're commanded to love God and to love others. Let's see, I don't think I'm here yet. Nope, not yet. Oops, I want to go backwards. There we go. Um, 
We're commanded to love God and love others. In the great commandment, Matthew 22, 37 through 40, Jesus essentially uh, quotes or paraphrases Deuteronomy 6, 5. So he, he gives uh, weight to this commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two commandments hang the whole law and the prophets. So as God's child, we are to love God and to love others. As God's child, our Father accepts or expects our obedience. We read in John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's pretty straightforward, right? If we love Jesus, we will keep his commandments. We will obey as God's child. As his child, God tells us to be holy because he is holy. As I mentioned, this means to be set apart or dedicated to God. Or on the flip side of that, it means to be separated from the world and worldliness. 1 Peter uh, 1.16, Peter quotes Leviticus 11.44. He says, because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy, to be set apart. So um, as God's child, we're to love God and love others. We are to obey God, and we are to be set apart for God's purposes. The way we live day to day should reflect those things then, shouldn't it? And is that the way the world around us lives? Okay, so that's the first part of this new identity. Second, we're church family. We're a member of the church family. As church family, we are commanded to love each other as Jesus loved us. Some of these things will overlap, you'll see. John 15, 12, Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. So as church family, we are to love one another just the same way Jesus has loved us. As church family, we're to consider others' needs more important than our own. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says, Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility, consider one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So we are to love each other as Jesus loved us. We are to consider others' needs more important than our own. As church family, in Ephesians 5, 18 through 21, we learn that we are to be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. We are to be encouraging and submitting to one another. We are to be giving thanks and singing God's praises. There's so much written in the New Testament about how the church family is supposed to interact with one another, and it would take more than one sermon to get through all of that. But I would like to just kind of summarize with some of these main points that we just mentioned, that we just read about in John 15, Philippians 2, Ephesians 5, that we are to love one another like Jesus loved us, consider each other's needs more important than our own, be filled by the Holy Spirit, encourage and submit to one another, and give thanks and praise God. Is that how the world around us lives? Is that a different picture? If we truly lived like that, our daily activity would look different than the world, wouldn't it? Well, third, this third aspect of our identity is that we are God's ambassadors. As God's ambassadors, we are called to go and to share God's word uh, through our words and deeds with a lost world. 
So our motivation is the great commandment that we read in Matthew 22, to love God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind and to love our neighbor as ourself. Our task is the great commission that we read about in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. <clears throat> and Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This is the task that we have as God's ambassador. The great commandment to love God and to love others is the basis for us doing this great commission. It's because we love God and we love others that we go tell them about Jesus, about salvation. And doing that great commission is our fullest expression of the great commandment, isn't it? As we go and we tell people about this great salvation that God offers, that is the best way that we can love God and love others. So this is our identity in Christ. We're, a dis as a disciple or a follower of Jesus, who's called to be a disciple maker. <laughs> we are his child, we are a member of the church family, and we are God's ambassadors. It's important to know this identity, because if we don't know what this identity is, and we go about doing good things through the church even, uh, really it's just empty religious activity, right? There's no basis for us doing that. Um, our motivation is probably mixed up. And if we know that this is our identity and nothing changes about our activity, well then, that really just means that we're being hypocritical, isn't it? If we don't live out what we say we believe. So more fully understanding our new identity as Christ's disciple will result in new activity. One naturally flows out of the other, doesn't it? Let me give you an example. So. When I became a father, uh, for example, I began to change diapers. I had never really changed diapers before I was a father. <clears throat> never babysat when I was younger. I started to get up multiple times in the middle of the night to help feed the baby, change the baby. Yeah, that was new to me, other than maybe when I was in college, I, got, I stayed up late to study. But yeah, that was a new thing, new activity that, that I began to do as a father. Uh, I even learned how to curl my daughter's bangs with a curling iron, you know, so they'd like poof out and come back. Is that a style still? This was in the 90s, so I, I see some people saying, what is that? Okay, yeah. Anyway, my identity as a father changed my activity. So I began to do new things. If I hadn't, I wouldn't have been a very good father or a very good husband. The same is true of our identity as disciples of Christ. Being a ch God's child, a member of the church family, and God's ambassador changes our day-to-day -day activity as we now love him and love others, obey him, consider others' needs more important than our own, submit to the Holy Spirit, have an attitude of praise and thanksgiving, and share the good news with people that we meet. Our identity changes our activity. Maybe we really haven't ever thought about what that looks like in practical terms. Maybe we've never thought about what does it look like to be intentional about loving God and loving others or about uh, how does it look practically to submit to the Holy Spirit? Um, 
even maybe what does it look like to share the good news with people that have not yet heard. Being a disciple takes intentionality with our activity. <clears throat> Remember how the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.26 that he doesn't run aimlessly or boxes one beating the air? His, in, his point there was that he was intentional. He acted intentionally, and his purpose, he states, was so that he could win as many as possible. So I borrowed an acronym from a friend and a pastor uh, of mine in New Jersey, Bill Lackey, with his permission. And this acronym, I think, will help us to think about being intentional about our activity as a disciple of Christ. It's not the ABCs, you know, like the basics of something. It's the ABCDEs. Maybe it's a little a little more complicated than the ABCs, um, the ABCDEs of discipleship. So let's t take a look at that. <clears throat> I think it's in those sermon notes, if you want to fill in the blanks and follow along there. Um, the A is abide in the word and prayer. So these are the ABCs, ABCDEs. And the A is abide in the word and prayer. Uh, a familiar passage, John 15, 1 through 11, says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, but must remain in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am, the, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown away like a branch and dries up. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Because apart from Christ, we can do nothing. We must remain close to him. When we do this, according to this passage, we'll bear much fruit. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Our prayers will be answered. How many times have we thought, ah, I don't understand. What is the answer to this prayer? We know our prayers will be answered. The Father is glorified. Our lives will glorify the Father. We prove to be Jesus' disciples. And we experience joy. These are great side effects of remaining, abiding in Jesus, abiding in the word and prayer. Great results. Reading the word and meditating on it and praying enable us to remain in God's presence. So I'd like to give you a little pattern. I don't think, oh, maybe I have this. Yeah, just some steps to help, help you to abide uh, in Christ. Pray before you read God's word. Here, what does this word teach you about him, about people or yourself? What does God want you to learn? Obey his word. What does it look like to respond to the passage? Is there a sin to avoid or repent of? Is there a promise to remember? 
Is there an example to follow? Or is there a clear command to obey? Write down your action step. That's very important. That's your first step of moving forward in obeying the passage, is writing it down. Write down something you can do to obey that passage. And then share it. Can you think of someone who would benefit from hearing the passage that you read? Share it with them, even the same day that you read it. So that's A, abide in the word and in prayer. The B of the ABCDEs is build relationships. In Luke 5, 27 through 32, uh, we read, after that, he went out and looked at a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And he left everything behind and got up and began following him. And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house, and there was a large crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. The Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling to his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. Luke gathered together all of his friends, didn't he? All of his co-workers. A lot of these people that the Pharisees didn't approve of. God has entrusted you and I with relationships where we work, where we live, where we learn, where we worship, where we play. To be faithful stewards of those social circles, we must build relationships with those around us and pray intentionally for opportunities to share truth with them for these spiritual opportunities. I challenge you to make a list of five people that you know that don't yet know the Lord and begin praying for them. Build relationships. Ask for God to give you opportunities to have spiritual conversations. And that's the C, connecting conversation. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Am I tracking along here? Not very good, huh? There's B. <laughs> this is the multitasking. There we go. Hopefully you got enough, had enough time with B. Connecting conversation. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 says, Hear, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall repeat them diligently to your sons and speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk on the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. You shall also tie them as signs to your hand, and they shall be on frontlets on your forehead, and you shall also write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is known as the Jewish statement of faith, the Shema. The first word is Shema in the Hebrew, uh, hear, and it has this idea of listen, listen and obey, hear and obey. The gist of this entire passage is to love God and show that through hearing and obeying with anyone, anywhere, anytime. Spiritual statements and actions are ways to demonstrate our love for God and our love for others, ways to demonstrate the gospel in practical ways and declare it. By weaving spiritual statements and actions into our everyday conversations, we're able to add value to our relationships and see where God is at work. Think of this progression of conversations with people in your circles of influence. Think of it's easy to have a casual conversation, right? Hey, what'd you do this weekend? 
Moving that to a meaningful conversation. Oh, well, how did you feel about that? <clears throat> and then moving on to a spiritual conversation. Oh, can I share a passage of scripture with you that's encouraged me when I felt that way? Moving on into a discovery discussion where you invite them to discover God's truth in his word with you. Give it a try this week to move conversations from one stage to the next, trying to get to that point where you invite somebody to read, read the Bible together with you. That's our next one, D, discover God's word. <clears throat> John 6, through 45 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. The one who comes to Jesus, according to this passage, is the one who is drawn and taught by God. Isaiah 55, 10 through 11 says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it produce and sprout, and providing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the purpose for which I sent it. God's word will accomplish his purpose in those to whom it goes. God and his word are the foundation, right? According to these passages. So by inviting people to discover God and his word, obey what he says and share it with others, we're really inviting people to a lifelong spiritual journey, aren't we? A journey in which they can grow continually. And people take more ownership over something when they discover it for themselves rather than when somebody just tells them something. So the next time someone comes to you with a spiritual question, I would challenge you to invite them to discover the truth in God's word with you rather than just give them the answer. See what happens. You might be surprised. I saw a poll recently. Over 64% of people are open to spiritual conversations, are open to digging deeper into spiritual truths. That's a pretty big number. It's more than we might think, right? So discover God in his word. E, equip and empower. Uh, let's see what I put. I put up the whole passage, 2 Timothy 2, 2 through 7, um, the notation for it, but I'm just going to read 2 Timothy 2, 2. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. It's a simple little passage. How many spiritual generations do you see in this passage? Let's count them out. You have Paul, and Paul always had his co-laborers with him, right? So you have Paul and his group speaking to Timothy in the presence of many witnesses. So this is in a group setting. He's told to entrust to faithful people, plural, who will be able to teach others also, right? So that's fourth generation, others, plural, groups. This is not necessarily individuals. These are groups, right? Which is kind of countercultural for us as Americans. Um, 
these are groups reaching groups reaching groups rather than just singling off an individual. But it, we're talking about to the fourth generation, so we see multiplication happening here. Every believer is called to help others to follow Jesus better, to make obedient disciples, to make disciples who follow or observe or obey everything that he commanded, according to Matthew 28, 18 through 20. As people mature, they're sent out to multiply, to see new disciples made. So we are called to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, right? It continues on forever. And uh, so we want to see new disciples made and new groups of disciple makers formed. Because we're not just disciples, we're disciples who make disciples, we're disciple makers. So these um, are the ABCDEs of discipleship that I just challenge you, I hope we'll all think about uh, and apply with people right where God has placed us. This is part of being intentional about being a disciple who makes disciples. A, abide in the word and prayer. B, build relationships. C, connect in conversation. D, discover God's word. And E, equip and empower. The A, B, C, D, E's. Our identity as disciples of Christ, as disciple makers, really should determine our activity. So motivated by God's love, equipped by his word, empowered by his Holy Spirit, let's intentionally do our part, these ABCDEs of discipleship, and then give God the glory for his results. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just are thankful for your word that teaches us, that challenges us, that convicts us for your Holy Spirit that you've given us, uh, that helps us to understand, that convicts us of our sin and of righteousness. Lord, we pray that as we go this week that we would think of these things, um, that we would think of uh, what we've heard from each of the missionaries who've shared, Lord, and that it would encourage us, that it would stimulate us, that it would challenge us to go and to uh, share your good news, to share stories from Scripture, to pray with people that we might be witnesses, lights in this dark world. Lord, help us to live in a way that's not the same as the world. Help us to live in a way uh, that expresses this identity that you've given us in Christ as a disciple of Christ, a follower of Christ. Lord, help us to do these ABCDEs of discipleship. Help us to be faithful and obedient to your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.